Welcome to the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of Brian, your host, and his guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested. So please, consume at your own risk. Now, here's Brian. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome back to the show. This episode is a little disturbing and enlightening. My guest today is 19-year-old Camilla Cloward, founder of the nonprofit organization that raises awareness to the world's number one growing criminal enterprise, human trafficking. It's called Giving a Voice. Her story is one that no child should ever have to endure, yet out of the horrific darkness of repeated sexual assaults starting at age 14, Leading into drug addiction and a suicide attempt came the passion not to be a victim, but to help other young people never have to travel the road that she has. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. And I know I've listened to your your interviews on these other shows, but at the risk of having you tell the story again, which is what you why you're here at 19 and having gone through the things you've gone through already, Tell my audience why you're doing what you're doing now. What what led up to it when you were four, you know, started when you said 14 and you're 19 now, you're a seasoned veteran at 19. <laughs> Thank you so much, first off, for having me on. Oh, you're so and welcome. For all that you're doing to tell people stories. Um basically my life hasn't been exactly normal. Um <laughs> uh, my what story kind of started. Yeah. That's true. There is no such thing as normal. Um, but even farther from the average or maybe different, um, my story started, I say, when I was like 14, but I honestly believe that it started earlier than that. Um, but basically, I was coming out of swim practice and there was this guy, he was the convenience person. Um, I'd bought in a granola bar from him. And he really took a super special interest in me. And being 14, I wasn't really wise enough to know the difference between, okay, this is just a guy like trying to make a sell and, or this is a nice guy and this is a creep. And so this guy started asking me many questions from where do I go to school, how old I was to where and when I get out of practice. And once again, I didn't know the red flags. So I told him with complete honesty. Well, you know, can I stop you for a second? At 14, you shouldn't have to. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Life should just be innocent. And if, yeah, anyway. I, I totally agree with that. And I think it's so awful because it happens at literally like a newborn age. And I've heard cases of that and just the evil of some of this world that we need to fight off. But um, so I had gotten out of practice later. I left the convenience store and this was all part of the gym. And I got out of practice and we were up at the weight room and this guy, I came out and he was waiting for me. And I remember just feeling my stomach drop. Um, once again, not knowing, oh, I need to follow those instincts. Um, and so I was like, well, it's fine. I'm just being paranoid. And so I walked that way. And were you, were you by yourself? When you came out of your practice? No, but I was the last one. Okay. Yeah. 
So it was unfortunate. And I come out and he was waiting for me. And he told me he wanted to show me something cool in another stairway. I was nervous. I didn't know what to do. And I just followed him. Which once again, that's a red flag. Never follow anyone that you don't know. Um, so he took me to the stairway and he started to do things I didn't consent for. Um, I was 14. He started to tell me I needed to prove myself. He was going to take me to his car and make me prove myself. Um, prove yourself to him? Yeah. Prove that I wouldn't tell anyone what he was doing and prove, prove myself, I guess. How, how old um, was he? Do you remember? I don't know. I would have guessed in his 20s. Okay. So clearly knew exactly what he was doing oh 100 he totally knew he he was looking for a victim that day in the target um and i pushed him out of the way finally i took all the strength of my little body and i shoved him out of the way and i ran out of there and luckily my carpool had waited for me for the worst 20 minutes that i lived that far in my life and I remember getting in the car and just feeling so ashamed, so guilty, so confused of, I didn't know what happened to me. I don't know why I'm feeling this way, but I knew I should never tell anyone. Eventually I, can I, I, did can, a, I can I stop you there? Yes, of course. Looking back, you, you it's sort of a natural instinct to hide it or not yeah. say anything. Why, why do you think that is? Why, why not? I mean, something that's, you just been traumatized. Why do you think? the instinct was to hide it? I think it's several different things. Um, a lot of times perpetrators, pedophiles, uh, all those people will make the victim feel as though if they tell that it is their fault, that you followed them there. Um, him saying, prove yourself that you're not gonna tell anyone. That was something that I think really groomed me into staying silent because he kept saying it as if, it was my fault and that I can't tell anyone if I told people I'd be in danger, that kind of type of thing. So he's trying to get and into so your pants and into your head. Exactly. And that's what predators do. And it's evil. It's evil. It's, there's no other word. No, there really isn't. And I think that another part of it is also just the culture of a lot of our society of, oh, what was she wearing? Even though I'd just gotten out of swim practice, I was 14 um, to, well, what did she do to deserve that? Or you shouldn't tell anyone. So I think that that just really gets groomed into us at a young age. And I think that that's a big thing about prevention is making these things where this is not a choice. This is not your fault. You're a victim and you can become a survivor, but becoming a survivor means standing up for your truth and your story. My sister, who's 59 years old now, was abused for between the ages of six and seven. Oh. And she didn't tell a soul until about six years ago. So she, she carried, that's all that stuff you said you had. She carried that with her for 80% of her life and exactly. has just destroyed herself with food for the last 30 years. She finally told somebody and, and that helped. And she, Almost, she became a life coach to help other people with, you know, eating disorders. But the damage that does, or at least it did to her, you know, you're you're channeling yours, you're actually doing something with it now versus like letting it fester. But it's again the evil 
you know, there's a special place in hell for people who do things like this. Absolutely. And I want to say with your sister, I'm so proud that she overcame it. And she told someone, um, it is a very common thing that if people don't tell people, and even if you do, a lot of times victims of abuse obtain eating disorders, drug addiction, and both of those were definitely part of my story and other addictions as well. Um, when you have something that hard eating away at you, I think that when you are molested, when you're raped, when you go through those things, it takes something from you. It, it yeah. literally, it takes something from you and it replaces it with an empty hole and anger. And until you tell someone, the only way you can fill those holes is with addiction. Just I've definitely cut, struggled cut, a lot with those things. Like we're just covering the pain. Yeah. Covering up that pain, trying to cope and eating disorder is not about food. It's not about the body. It's really about just trying to cope, trying to gain control. control. When you grow up in a place that isn't, you have no control. When you have your control completely taken from you or your voice completely taken from you, it completely takes away the ability to feel control. And so you're trying to gain anything from, okay, well, this is what I can eat. I can control this. And that's a common thing with both victims of sexual assault and human trafficking. All right. So that, then what, how, from that day at the swim class till your next, you know, step, what? Uh, so I really spiraled. Yeah. Um, how long, how long between that time until you started really going down the drain, as you said? Honestly, not long. I think it was maybe a month that I started really going down the drain. Um, and you still had told no one? Yes. Okay. I ended up with new friends. I eventually, and I'll share this later in the podcast, but I ended up doing drugs and ended up in an eating disorder. Um, a couple of weeks later, I ended up in the hospital with alcohol poisoning, almost dying. And a year later, I ended up in a hospital dead for two minutes because I overdosed. But I did eventually tell my best friend and he told, I didn't really tell him, tell him. I kind of was like, hey, this kind of happened. I don't really know what happened, but ha ha ha. Like just telling it in a way that made it not real. And he ended up telling his mother. And later that night, I got a call from his mother that said, Hayden told you what you went through. And I'm so sorry that all this happened to you. I'm so sorry that this all happened, but this is not your fault. And now you get to choose what you do with it. You get to choose how you react to it. I wish I really listened to that advice because I didn't react to it well. Um, I was still in drugs. I got an eating disorder. I, I ended up in places that no teenager should be. Or adult, really, for that matter, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. I was meeting drug dealers. We call them plugs. In plugs? Pitches. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and these people were like a lot older. They were thirties. Um, I remember this one guy was on house arrest and he told me he'd give me free drugs. If I came over and hung out with him, he was in his thirties. I was 16 or 15 hung out. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I just Play ended chess. up in a lot of spaces. Yeah. <laughs> uh, luckily I think the God intervened there and the, his patrol op officer ended up showing up. And so I couldn't go over. And I really think that that was God's intervention. That's creepy. Yeah. yeah. So just, I think that any trail that leads to drugs, 
honestly, is just you're going to end up a lot of times abused, um, depressed, anxiety, and ending up in places that no human should be. And so how, how long into this are you, are you now at this point? I am now four years clean. Um, I was abused a lot from my teenage years. I went through, that was just my first abuse. I later was abused by a friend. I was abused um, by a guy as I was in the room and we were both drugged, me and my best friend, and he abused both of us. And there was nothing I could do to stop it because I was so drugged. So Drugs that you that took on I your own? I think that they were definitely laced with something. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Drugs and alcohol and things like that. They were definitely laced because within moments I could not move at all. And I was completely paralyzed. And of course he took advantage of you. Absolutely. And, and as well as my friend. Yes. So I think that any trail that leads to drugs just isn't one that I would ever go down again, even though life is so hard. It gets so hard. Life will never calm down. Uh, I, <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. Like I, a few weeks ago, I decided to share this today. Um, I had come home from this human trafficking podcast and speaker thing and retreat in California. Um, and this whole time, it was also a healing retreat. It was amazing. And I kept on having this feeling that I needed to investigate my own father. Even though I'm in this work, my father used to volunteer with me. Um, I just kept on having this feeling of I needed to investigate. And I've always had a lot of suspicion of my father. He gets massages twice a week. He's very touchy, very sexual. Walking down the street, he can't help but look at girls. And he's been and like this your whole life? My entire life. Okay. Um, and he's just a very sexual being. Um, and so a few weeks ago, I get home from this retreat. And I decided to look through my father's things. And I found this iPad. And it was dead at first, but I was like, I need to investigate. I need to investigate. And I plugged it in and I found a ton of texts and websites that he was buying girls for sex. And he's been doing so almost my entire life. Um, this was just three weeks ago. And I'd been in this fight of human trafficking for a year. So, so you knew you're, it can happen is, to is, anyone. Is he and your mom, are, are they together? Are you, are you all in the same home? still no my he has moved out but we'll we'll see what happens how long ago this was i found the text four weeks ago and he's out but you did you confront him um yeah it didn't go too well well but, clearly yeah yeah can, um, can you will you talk about that yeah so that conversation you, like you said in our in, in you know the letter that we sent like uh, we talked about just the more we talk about everything all the the icky, the evil, the gross, everything. If we hide that, then it just perpetuates it. So tell me what Absolutely. was that like? How'd that I conversation go? Dad, hey, guess what, dad? I found out uh, this, this, and this. So that's not exactly how it went. So right after I found the text, I called, um, her name is Heidi Chance. She's incredible. She was an undercover detective in human trafficking for 25 years. And so I gave her a call because she can run it through the system, see what's coming up. And it all came up that these girls were being sold for sex. Um, or in our society, we call them prostitutes. 
there's no such thing. Prostitution is human trafficking. Yeah. Um, and so I originally, I went to my friends at Operation Underground Railroad and I went to the police um, and I was going to keep it to myself for a little bit, but it was just killing me. And I saw my mom and I just needed to tell her. And this had been a week or two after I'd found out. And so I told her everything and I asked her not to tell him, but she ended up telling him, which is totally understandable given the circumstance. And he told her that it was all true and everything. And during this time, I was actually staying with a friend who's also an activist of human trafficking and sexual assault and those things. And my mom messaged me and said that it's all true. He admitted it all. Um, a few days later, I ended up seeing him for the first time and I went into his room and his response was, hey, sweetie, how are you? And I got so angry. I've never felt that kind of anger before in my life. And I said, like, you don't have a right to call me sweetie. I'm not your daughter. You're not my father. This is not a relationship. This is solely you're my sperm donor now. Um, and I really exploded on him, telling him that what he did to these girls, that these girls are victims of human trafficking. Um, and basically how awful that situation was. So he's out. And what, what how's your mom's reaction to this? Um, I don't know if I should really talk about her because that is her story. So I want to keep her privacy. That's fair. Um, but she's honestly doing amazing. I'm proud of her. That's that's quite a bomb. I mean, you're going through this yourself and trying to recover from this. And then to yeah. find out that your father is contributing to something you are fighting against. That, that's yeah, got to be a level of betrayal. A huge level of betrayal. And not only that, but like the thought that paid sex is paid rape. And that what he did to these women... And he knows what he was doing to these women. I've told him that if they're saying 18 or 20 years old on their profile, most likely they're a lot younger than that. Um, that this is human trafficking and all of these things. And he would act so horrified with the stories I told him about victims and about the work I do. And he would say about how horrible it is and that these men belong in hell. But then yet he was doing it himself. Wow. So what has that done to your... The foundation you, I mean, or your your agenda, your goal. Obviously, honestly, I have more passion, more than fire ever. and steam for it. Yeah, I am constantly working towards getting up and working towards helping everyone in this fight. So I do have all of the numbers and all of the addresses for these women, and I'm going to work to help get them out. And that's not part of my nonprofit. That's just me individually. But for my nonprofit, I'm just going to keep growing, keep working towards making this a thing that can truly be something successful and that will really give a voice to the fight of human trafficking. Is not to keep going back on your dad's situation, but you're here in Utah. Was all this activity happening here in Utah or was he traveling somewhere or was this just right here in good old Happy Valley? Most of it was in Utah. He did travel to Africa for about a month a year. And so I suspect that there is some down there. And he went to Africa, um, Mexico, a lot of different countries for hunting. 
but I suspect that there is other things going on. And a lot of it was in Utah. It is shocking, shocking how accessible this is to people. All I did was look up escorts, which is another word for prostitute, and hundreds of websites came up. I looked up underage escorts and websites came up to buy girls and women and men. How is this a thing in our society when if you were to buy a thing of cocaine, how long would you spend in jail? What, two years, five years, more? But if you were to buy a human being, all you get is a ticket. A ticket. And possibly a night at jail. Because there's, how do they, yeah, proof and I don't know, that's. It's it's a mess. And our happy, our culture here is so trusting. Uh, It doesn't surprise me that it's prevalent as you say it is because we are so, we're such a trusting culture. And I often say, one of my kids were little and we were in church. If you were an evil scumbag, this would be a great place to come get kids because we just let our kids roam by themselves, go to the bathroom by themselves in the hallways. Someone comes in with a suit on, they look like everyone else. It's, it's a prime target. Absolutely. My father was part of the church. He went every week. He had callings. He is now obviously excommunicated, but this isn't. That's not enough. There's no such thing as a safe space. If there was a space safe, we would all be there. Yeah. There's so many snakes in the grass. And everywhere you step, they will be. Um, I volunteer a lot for Operation Underground Railroad, which is a nonprofit organization that does rescues around the world for kids in human trafficking. And my father would go to me to volunteer this, these things. When I was opening my nonprofit, I need three directors. My father was one of the directors. This is something that people are hiding. There are snakes in the grass and that's why we need to come up and tell our stories and not hide it because otherwise they will never be caught in this society of sexual abuse and human trafficking and all those things will continue to thrive because it's not just once in a while, it's thriving. Well, and it's becoming, it's such a, you hear the word human trafficking I'm hearing it a lot in the last few years and it's so common. It's almost losing its meaning. Kind of like racism, racism, everyone, everything's racist. Everybody's a racist. Everything's racism. And it has, the meaning is, is getting watered down. And I, and I fear that's happened and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just my gut is that it's, we don't realize the, I don't know. I don't know what the word is, how evil it is because it's normalized, not, that's not the right word but no definitely I think that there's so many harmful things when it comes to human trafficking such as the wrong verbiage there is no such thing as prostitutes um 90% of these prostitutes are not there by choice they are being trafficked and the other 10% probably don't want to be there either who wants to sell their body to old men for profit yeah, that, that nobody chooses that. And so these women, these girls, these young boys, all these people are being raped and raped and raped. And the trauma of that and the fact that as a society, we are saying that this is your fault is unacceptable because it's not. They are being trafficked. A pimp is not a pimp. They're a trafficker. Right. It's everywhere. You go to Las Vegas and 
Oh, that's a whole nother level. So many people are being trafficked. And so I think that though that harmful verbiage and these harmful myths of human trafficking is being thrown into a van, while that is sometimes the case, most of the time it's going to be a mental bond that is formed over time. And these predators, these traffickers, these pedophiles, they are the most patient creatures that you will ever meet. Which they will wait. makes it 10 times more evil. Absolutely. I remember Vegas, this was 20 years ago, easy, maybe longer. And walking down the street and having people literally put these little flyers, they would put them in my hand. I don't know what they're doing now. Maybe there's laws against it or it's just, or but literally they would touch, touch, reach down and touch my hand with it. I'm like, that is bold. That is so bold to do that. They would at least at that time, not approach children, which I'm like, okay, well, the evil is evil had some respect for children at least i don't know what it's like now but that was 20 plus years ago yeah there's no respect in this industry especially now it's it's so underground it's so hidden and it's everywhere and from different countries is going to look different if you come to the u.s a lot of human trafficking is going to take one of two forms and this is just a little bit of it um obviously there's dozens of forms but a lot of times in um, the U.S. we're going to see people being um, it groomed into human trafficking through the Romeo effect which is an effect where there's a pimp a trafficker um, that will groom a child or usually the average age of entering this industry I say entering but being forced into human trafficking is 11 to 12 years old so they're going to groom that child and make them feel like they're loved. They're gonna prey on their vulnerabilities, use the hierarchy of needs to make this child trust them, love them, and feel like they're completely alone. They will isolate this child, and then they will start selling this child using anything that they can from threats to threats against their family, um, telling them that they'll never be loved, using psychological needs, and they'll show it, they'll beat them up, they'll hurt them. I've talked to many survivors who said that they had several friends murdered throughout their how time does, in traffic. How does, how do these scumbags access a 10 and 11 year old child? I can understand a teenager that's got access to social media and phones, but are, is it, is it through Thank technology you for even, even for yes. young, young yes. that age? It can be a variety. Um, but a lot of times it is through social media. Um, if you've ever seen or heard anyone that has made done sting ops, the second that they create a profile as a young child, they are having predators reach out to them in seconds. And it's awful. It's disgusting. And so it's through social media. Um, oftentimes it is someone that they know. A lot of times in the US, we will see parents trafficking their children, uncles trafficking their children grandpa's trafficking these children so family if it's a family member is it money do they target like the older people that need they're desperate for money or why would why would a parent what would be the the ultimate goal to to traffic their child money and drugs money. so addicted parents they get them with the tap into the addiction and not necessarily even addictive parents it, it's can be a mixture but ultimately it is for money that they are selling these kids 
that that's a whole nother level of yeah desperation and and evil that you would because a parent as a parent you love your kids like more than life itself you would throw yourself in front of a train to protect your kids to, so to yeah. willingly pimp them out it's it, it's, it almost it, i swear it seems like a movie people. this conversation seems like a movie it doesn't even seem real and that's me. how it feels and because the normal human mind cannot comprehend these things that the evil that this is and you just dabbled in it because of the crap you dealt with and you weren't you said you weren't trafficked you were just you but you were on the path you could have been easily yes so i was just sexually abused um i always call my trauma little t's they're little traumas compared to this because human little trafficking t's. is mm-hmm. nothing just minor nothing compared like what i went through is nothing and so um but there is so much hope in it there is recovery there is aftercares i've seen so many survivors go from like just surviving to thriving because you can and through my nonprofit, i've learned so much about and educated myself so much on human trafficking my ultimate goal is to be an operator and go undercover to get these kids out around the world you you cut out there for a second your ultimate goal is to become a what an operator and go undercover to get these kids out. So, okay, you talked. You had, you had a guy on from Underground Railroad Operation Underground Railroad recently on yes. your show, and he talked yes. about how being in character and actually acting like you're a buyer, and what that does to your mentality. Would that be some? Is that something that you're? Is that what you're talking about? So, so are most say- of the buyers men? Or is it no no gender specific? Anyone's, you know, the buyers are buyers regardless. No. Uh-uh. So the number one um, consumer of sexual acts and human trafficking is the average white middle-aged man from America. Like me. I'm an average white middle-aged man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what I would do is I'd go undercover in several capacities. Um, I can go undercover as a girl being sold. I can go undercover as there is women traffickers. They are the girls that get them ready, get them groomed, um, do their makeup, do all these things. And I think that that is just the darkest evil that you can turn on your own gender and go through your own natural instincts of nurturing but those are two different things i could go undercover would as. would what comes to mind when you say that is the the, Je- the jeffrey epstein case and then his girlfriend jelaine maxwell whatever how you say her name she it sounds like she was kind of what she was a real person but doing what you're going undercover to possibly do like getting yes. the girls ready, yeah. prepping them for this, for the, the evil consumer. Yeah. And then, but obviously we don't, we would get them out and yeah, do the case, but um, that's my ultimate goal. I'm not there yet. I'm studying Arabic and doing those things to get me there, but I'm not there yet. Why Arabic? Cause I would love to work in the middle East with human trafficking. Because it's, it's, it's known that it's not real kind to women in that part of the world generally speaking. Yeah. I also think, I think that human trafficking is everywhere. It's in every city, every state, and it's in every country, but 
in other countries, I don't think that they have as much help with this, these things. Whereas the US has a lot of nonprofits, has a lot of people trying to help human trafficking. And I would love to go over to people that don't have as much help. So your nonprofit, I mean, are there others like it or are you unique? What is it that you're doing that's so different that, that I'm sure there's others that, that do, like obviously Operation Underground Railroad, you know, they're heavily involved, but what, how are you different? So my, doing? my nonprofit is focused on awareness and prevention of human trafficking and sexual abuse. We do a podcast um, where we have survivors, um, just influential people that are in this fight. We have people like Operation Underground Railroad and other nonprofits and police that work in this fight as well that come on, share their stories and what they're doing to combat human trafficking and give advice on combating it. I'm also working on several other outlets. I've only had my nonprofit for two months. And so we're just getting up and going. We just received our 501c3. And so I'm just getting going, but eventually I would love to have a children's book that educates about safety and a board of directors that works to combat human trafficking here in Utah. Um, these would be people like hospital directors, school directors, teachers, frontline um, workers police. that would see this. Yes. And also governor, government people as well. So if any of your listeners are interested and have that kind of capacity, please reach out to me on my social media, DM or email. And I would love to have you on. I think in addition to your children's book, you need to do an adult book for, <clears throat> for, an, for the parent. The parent. I have three daughters who are 21 to 28 to think that some scumbag is having their way with them. So, so, so I think the parents need something as well to recognize. I, I don't know if I would know. I mean, my son plays video games. He's 18. He's online playing video games with his friends. And I ask him often, like, are there other people that, you know, reach out to you, try to, um, you know, chat with you and chat you up. And he said a couple of times it happened, but not nothing that had me alarmed, but maybe, the, maybe there were things going on that I had no idea. Absolutely. Video games are a common way that pedophiles and traffickers get a hold of kids because there's chat rooms that a lot of parents don't know about. So what I would suggest to parents is either one of several things. Um, Block the chat room if your kid is too young. And if not, then maybe look at really educating them on this and telling them that do not reach out to anyone that is older, that you don't know. Only talk to people that you absolutely know and that you've met in person already. Because they don't know the age of the person. The person's obviously acting like. The, the common, common MO is to act like you're 12. If you're, you're playing with a bunch of 12-year-olds, you act like you're 12, but you're 40 years old. Exactly, right? and no one knows the difference. And yeah, it's the online. same with social media, is that don't let anyone follow you that doesn't know you. And I would say that, hold off social media for as long as humanly possible. I know with my my kids, I can't, yeah. I know with my kids, um, what I will do, and this is just, if anyone likes this idea, is I do believe that they need a cell phone. So at the age of 16, I will give them a flip phone. And if they want to buy their own iPhone and play for their own plan, they are more than happy to. But there shouldn't be privacy on cell phones because we need to be looking through their texts, through their social media. 
yeah, if you're paying so for something, especially as a, an adult parents, and I, you know, I, I'm guilty of creating monsters in my kids with technology and giving them way too much access way too soon. You own it. You don't, yeah. they don't have, there is no privacy if you own it, you know, and, and I get this, oh my, we, we always talk about this, my right to privacy. You don't have privacy when you're a child, not in a creepy, weird sense, but if I'm paying for everything, sorry, that's just the rule. And I have access and I can take it away and look at it whenever I want. And we have gotten soft with our kids. And I, I am the first to admit that I'm one of them. I yeah. rarely look at my son's phone. I count on one hand the time I've looked at his phone in the last few years. So I'm no model. I'm no model yeah. hard ass parent by any means. I don't have any kids, so I can't really speak yet, but I think it's so important, especially if your kids have their phones or devices at night. That is terrifying. What Tim Ballard, founder of Operation Underground Railroad, compares it to is would you let your kid go to a club at the middle of the night? No, well, you're letting them have the phones, and it's the same thing. So definitely have them turn in their phones. This is your phone. Look through it. If they hate you for not respecting their privacy, just tell them that you, you trust them. It's everyone else that you don't trust. Yeah. Because I promise you that there is people and predators reaching out to your kids okay. unless they're on private, unless they are safe about this. As far as like the adult book goes, I've had many ideas about this. Like I said, I'm just starting. So I want to start with the children's book, but I would love to create an adult book, um, eventually with advice from all the exports that I've had on my podcast. So like, if they would be willing to, anyone that was, would be able to write just a little section in this book to create a book of advice and stories for parents. Almost like a journal of experiences that people have had, maybe. Just and advice out there. as yeah, well. Advice, yeah. yeah. Um, like I said, we're just getting going. So I'm spitballing with a lot of ideas. That's okay. You know, spit many, many miracles have, have come about because of spitballing. So you keep that spitballing. Is true. And revelation comes to those who are on the move. Absolutely. Um, I 100% believe in God. He is the only thing that has made this all possible and has healed me. Speaking of healing, let's talk. Let's move your head a little bit. For those that may be watching, I want to see what's on your wall behind you. Tell us about that that image, the drawing you made, your logo. So, I don't know if any of them can see me, but it's they my logo be. for my podcast and, oh, wrong way, yeah. and my nonprofit. And it's a woman of a girl, and it's a painting of a woman. I drew this when I was really healing and doing EMDR, ART for my trauma, which is just therapy techniques for severe trauma situations. And I felt really broken at this time. I thought that, I would, could never be loved. I felt different, broken. I was so angry. I was so hurt. And I started painting this woman. And as I was painting her, I decided to make her different. And I imagined just different traumatic experience I've, I've had. And I would draw a line on her face with a different color. Um, and it symbolizes that even though she's not average, she's not normal. She's beautiful. She's different. And so I named this different, not broken, because we're not. As, as survivors, as humans, we are not broken. We are just different. 
I always say that the moment you accept that you are different is the moment you accept that you can change the world because no average person that is just trying to fit in is ever going to change the world. Do you need trauma? No, you can be whoever to change the world. But if you're trying to fit in, if you're trying to be average, you will never make a difference. It's when we embrace who we are, embrace our stories and embrace ourselves that we really get out there and change to make the world what we want it to be. Sometimes that phrase change the world, we all want to change the world, but it's daunting and, and it's almost overwhelming. How do I, I'm this one person change the world. And I have come to understand that as you change the world by changing your world and your world could mean your circle of five friends. And it doesn't have Absolutely. to be on this grand scale. It's like, it's the whole ripple and a pond effect, you know, that, that one little thing can grow. Well, and it doesn't, if you work on yourself, if you heal yourself, okay, then you have kids, you teach them from a healed, changed, different perspective than the world, then their kids teach their kids that same perspective. You just change a whole generation of lives by working on yourself and changing yourself. So what's the average 18, 19 year old girl doing these days? Don't ask me. I have no idea. Because you're not one of them, clearly. <laughs> no. But for I you to, normally... to, to be doing this is intense and good for yeah. you for, for stepping up and just saying, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make a change. Not that an average 19 year old girl just living her life is not bad. It isn't, but good for you for, for taking on this, this monumental task. And again, it starts with one thing. And here you are, you've been on a couple of podcasts. I heard about it. Someone told me now you're here and all my 12 listeners, they're going to be excited. I'm excited <laughs> too. I'm so grateful to be on here and I'm so grateful for everything that you're doing. Well, we all do our little pieces. We have our little, our voice, our little influence, our circle of friends, our sphere and that overlaps. Absolutely. We don't, I don't know who, you know, you don't know who I know. Somebody hearing this may spark something else. And, and that's why I say, don't hide your story, share your story. Everyone has one. I don't care how boring you think your life is. Everyone's got a story and you've got, like I say, you've lived more life than most people in a lifetime. In a that was good just and, a good little bit about way. my story. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, I think that everyone has a story to tell. Everyone has a right to their voice, to their stories. We've talked a lot about a lot of things. What, is there something that I haven't asked you about what you went through, what you're trying to do, just trafficking in general that you want to share as kind of a closing, if you remember nothing else, remember this? Yeah, of course. I would love to share a few things about human trafficking um, and joining the fight in human trafficking. My number one thing is that you don't need to be a social worker. You don't need to be an operator. You don't need to be a survivor or a professional to join this fight. Stay at home moms join this fight. Kids join this fight. Hospital directors, government officials, teachers, everyone that joins this fight makes a difference. And it can be as simple as sharing a post, following nonprofits that fight this, and just looking around. If you see something, say something report it. It's so important to report because even if it ends up being nothing, what if it was something? If it's nothing, nothing comes out of it. There's no harm. Yeah. But Get if involved. it's something, 
you could be saved. So please get involved. One time um, I was at a gas station late at night. This guy came in. He really smelled. He started hitting on me. I was 17, 16. And he asked me to come with him. I said no. And then the cashier noticed how creepy this guy is and locked me out. The next day, the same gas station, the same time, a 17-year-old blonde girl got kidnapped from a Hispanic man in a red truck, the same guy that was trying to get with me. And he waited in his red truck after he left. And I said, no, it can be as simple as looking around and reaching out. I've heard survivor stories where it's like, I was at a McDonald's and no one cared. No one cared that I'm a 13 year old in a provocative outfit with a man controlling me. All it is, is saying hi and giving a smile that can change a life and reaching out, sharing these posts, educate yourself, educate your family. And then if you feel like it, educate your community. Just, just be aware we're, 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 everyone's so insular now because of our, our phones. We're always, we're always doing this and, and just looking up, just noticing something around you is, is, is a lost art. It really is. And just giving people a smile it can be as simple as that to just even make someone stay. And if you really want to join the fight, feel free to message me. Um, my Instagram is giving.a.voice. And I'm happy to give advice and give you options for joining this fight hands-on. Okay, awesome. I'll put all that in the show notes and everything. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing this. Um, and I, again, part of me worries that this will just be another interview, another podcast about trafficking. That'll just be a buzzing noise for people. Again, what I've also realized is unless something affects you personally, it's just another thing out there. I mean, that's the unfortunate thing. We don't get involved in things that don't affect us. Absolutely. But abuse whether it's trafficking or not but abuse is going to come to you in one way or another whether that's either in prevention and awareness and education or come to you in a way that you don't want it to and that can be through your kids a family member a friend or yourself that has been abused and so get educated now learn prevention now before you wish that you did before you yeah be prepared as much as you can yeah yeah well, again, thank you for being on. Um, am I saying your name right, Camilla? Or Cam- how do you? Am I yes. saying it right? Okay, Camilla. Thank you for clarifying because I thought I was doing it wrong. But thank you so much for being on and and sharing this. And and I'll wrap this up and and we'll get this out and hopefully help somebody provide some value to somebody. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me on. It was honestly an honor. You're welcome. Thank you again for listening to The Parish The Thought Show. We know you have many podcast options and appreciate that you have chosen us. If you love what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. And don't forget to share, like, and subscribe. If you hate what you hear, only tell us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from The Parish the Thought Show.